Thank you, choir, for that wonderful reminder and encouragement to our souls. Never once have we ever walked alone. Jesus, the Son of God, is the one who will satisfy and sustain our souls forever. Let's take a moment and go to the Lord together this morning before we look at our text in John chapter 6 together. Father, we come to you and we ask that you would open our eyes, give us eyes to see your word, give us hearts ready to receive it, and wills ready to obey it. I pray that we would go away from this place changed more into the image of your son as we look to your word together this morning. We pray these things in your son's name, amen. This morning, we'll be in John chapter 6, verses 35 through 59, but before we come to our text this morning, I'd like to make two observations. The first is this, that John points to the events here in chapter 6 as taking place over a very brief period, likely simply two days. Uh, The beginning of chapter 6 begins with Jesus feeding the 5,000. And then the text tells us that that night, his disciples were in a storm on the Sea of Galilee where he walked on the water. And we see from the other, of the other gospels where Peter got out of the boat and then began to sink. And then Jesus stepped in the boat and the sea was still. And then verse 22 of John 6 tells us that the next day, the crowds were seeking Jesus and they got in their boats and they found him in Capernaum. Uh, There were many among their number that sought Jesus because simply nothing more than the fact that he filled their bellies. In contrast to the satisfaction of food that is temporal that fills our bellies, Jesus declares all through this chapter, starting with the feeding of the 5,000, that he, as the bread of life, is what can satisfy the soul forever. And he does that over and over and over again throughout this chapter, throughout this story um, that we see in John 6. The second uh, observation is this. Several places in the Gospels, um, in his Gospel, John records the simple declaration that I am. Jesus says those words, I am. At the end of chapter 8, Jesus makes such a declaration, and the Jews' immediate response was to pick up stones to throw at him. In that moment, they most certainly heard the voice of God proclaiming, I am from the burning bush to their forefather Moses. They did not see that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah. They responded as though he was a blasphemer one who was not worthy to say such words. In our passage, we find the first of seven different I am statements that John records for us in his gospel. John uses these seven I am statements in his gospel to give clarity to the identity, the nature, and the character of Jesus. In chapter 8, he proclaims, I am the light of the world, the light of life. In chapter 10, he proclaims, I am the door Salvation comes through me, and I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. In chapter 11, he proclaims, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Believe in me and find eternal life. In chapter 14, he proclaims, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I am the only way to the Father. In chapter 15, he proclaims, I am the true vine. Abide in me. And here in our text, he proclaims in this first I am statement, I am the bread of life. Jesus is saying, put your trust in me. I am the bread of life. I am the son of God. And I am what will satisfy your soul forever. I am what will satisfy your soul forever, is what Jesus proclaims. We're going to work through our text this morning as we consider it under three headings. First, Jesus' declaration that he was, he is the bread of life. And then next, we see the Jews' response response of grumbling when they say, we know who your parents are. And then we'll see the Jews' question asking this, is he telling us to eat him? What's going on here? So we'll work under these three headings. First, we see Jesus' declaration, I am the bread of life. Turn with me to John 6, and we'll read verses 35 through 40 together. If you don't have a Bible, you can find the passage on page 892 in the Bible in the rack in front of you. Follow along with me as I read our text. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. In the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus miraculously gave them bread and fish to eat, plenty of it, and they didn't get it. Not even the 12 got it at that moment, let alone the crowd of Jews that was following Jesus. We see this about the 12 in Mark chapter 6, verse 52, where we read that after Jesus got in the boat and the wind stopped, Mark records that they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves. In the middle of chapter 6, Jesus taught that the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven, and they still didn't get it. They still didn't understand that he was speaking of himself. So we come now to verse 35, and Jesus boldly proclaims, and will repeat multiple times throughout our text, that he is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. No less than five times he repeats this in these few verses. In our text, we find both plain and metaphoric language. In verse 35, he states that he is the bread of life. Then he says that it is the person who comes to him that will not hunger, not the person who eats him. In the same vein, it's the one who believes in him that will not thirst, not the person who drinks him. Later in our text, Jesus will employ uh, much more metaphoric language, however. Here in verse 35, He does, though, set a baseline for our understanding 
of the metaphoric language he will use later. Utilizing the word picture of the bread of life, he clearly states that the one who comes to him will not hunger. The one who believes will not thirst. We wouldn't normally include the picture of thirsting being combined with the imagery of bread, um, but it is very fitting for Jesus in his earlier teachings. Previously in John 4.14, when talking with the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus declares that whoever drinks this water I will give him will never be thirsty again. And earlier in his ministry, Jesus combines the idea of hunger and thirst when he proclaims that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus continues to drive at the reality that it is only through him that any one of us can ever find lasting satisfaction. As we look through the text, we'll see that still many just don't get what Jesus is driving at here. Still, many do not believe. Belief. This is central um, to the Gospel of John. In John 20, 30, and 31, the Apostle clearly tells us his purpose for writing. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the book. But these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. The theme of belief um, versus unbelief comes out in the first six chapters of John's gospel very clearly. Truly, truly, I say to you, he says in John 3, 11, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? John 3, 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but who does, whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Chapter 5, verse 46, for if you believed Moses, you will believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? John 6, 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. And then John 6, 35, 36, and 40, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The call of Jesus is that whoever comes to him will never hunger. Whoever believes in him will never thirst. So many of those sitting under his teaching, they had seen Jesus. They had seen him perform miracles. They had heard him teach great things. And yet, they remained in their unbelief. 
Notice the contrast between verses 36 and 40. In verse 36, he says, you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Verses 40, verse 40, he says, those who look on the Son and believe have eternal life. They, have, they had seen him, but they hadn't truly seen him. For they failed to grasp the significance of his miracles, and they totally missed the point of his teaching. The God of this world had blinded their eyes. They could not see the light of the glory of the gospel. They saw Jesus, but they didn't see him for who he truly was and is, the Son of God. Friend, Jesus truly is the bread of life. He is the Son of God, and He alone can satisfy the aching of your soul forever. Do you believe this this morning? Do you believe this? Jesus alone can satisfy your soul. As we continue on in verses 37 through 40, we find two incredible truths that Jesus lays out for us as he continues on in his teaching. This teaching of himself as the bread of life. First, notice that those that come to believe in Jesus the Son are given him by the Father. Verse 37 says that all that the Father gives me will come to me. All of the, that the Father gives me will come to me. In Ephesians 1, Paul records these words. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. How truly amazing it is that though every single one of us was a sinner by birth and by choice, God chose to set His love on some before the foundation of the world and give them to His beloved Son. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that any one of us would be called a child of God. What a great gift it is that the Father would give some to His Son to be His children. Notice, secondly, that all that the Father gives the Son are secure for all eternity. Verse 37 goes on to say, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. He goes on to add in verse 39 that he will lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. In verse 40, he drives the point home again by saying that those who believe in him, the Son, will have eternal life and they will be raised up on the last day. In John 10, he records similar words of Jesus. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, my Father is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. 
This truth is rooted in the character of God. The fact that none who are God's children will be lost for eternity is rooted in the character of God. He says that the Father has given them to me, and the Father who has given them to me is greater than all, greater than any other being. In Philippians 1.6, Jesus assures his saints that are gathered at the church in Philippi that he who began a good work in them would bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. In verses 37 through 40, Jesus makes it clear, regardless of how many of his hearers do or do not believe, there is nothing that can frustrate or thwart the saving purposes of God. Not one thing. God will keep those he saves for all eternity. We are secure in him. What a great comfort that is for those who follow Christ. That there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. No matter what you are facing in your life today, no matter what struggle, no matter what storm, no matter what difficulty there is in your life today, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God if you are his child. Nothing. Because you are secure in Christ, the one who is greater than all others. When Jesus declared that he was the bread of life, he was saying this, I am the son of God, I am what, what will most certainly satisfy your soul forever. Believe in me. So, how did the Jews respond to this teaching? Next, we see they're grumbling. We say, they say this, but we know your parents. But we know your parents. Look with me at verses 41 through 51 as we see the Jews' first response. We'll read this, these uh, 10, 11 verses together. Follow as I read. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. We'll probably hear some themes repeated each time Jesus responds to them as John records it. It is written in the prophets that they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever and the bread that I will give for the life of this world is my flesh. Jesus says he comes from heaven. That's what they heard. But they're like, but, but wait, wait, isn't this Jesus? We know who his parents are. We know his mom and dad. We have seen his family tree. 
We know who his ancestors are. He can't have earthly parents and be from heaven at the same time. This doesn't work. Well, for everyone else, this doesn't work. But Jesus was not and is not everyone else. They, they seemed to understand what he was getting at. They seemed to begin to understand that he was claiming to be the Son of God. But they rejected it. Their rejection is very similar to his rejection that Jesus received in Nazareth, recorded in Mark chapter 6, where they said this, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? They, they began to see who he was saying his father was, and yet they rejected it. One theologian put it this way, The Jews think that they know there is all to know about Jesus' paternity. But they speak in ignorance, not of only his virgin conception, but of his true identity. Repeatedly, Jesus insists that his opponents do not know his heavenly Father at all. Indeed, it will transpire that Jesus knows their Father far better than they actually know his. This was the essence of their response. You can't be from heaven. You can't be the bread of life. You can't be the son of God because you are the son of Joseph and Mary. And their response, it demonstrated that they remained in their unbelief. So in the back and forth of this story, how did Jesus respond to their unbelief? Well, it's interesting, he doesn't, really, he doesn't really get to the point of their question. He doesn't, he doesn't just answer their question clearly um, as they grumble about his parents and knowing his family tree. After telling them that they should stop grumbling, instead, he returns and he repeats much of what he already said in verses 35 through 40. But verse 44 has a slightly different focus. But it gets to the same big idea as from earlier, emphasizing the roles of the Father and the Son that they have in salvation and securing those who belong to the Father. Again, he points them and us to the reality that man is helpless and unable to respond to God apart from his sovereign work. Verse 44 and 45 say this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sends me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father has come to me. In verse 45, Jesus is paraphrasing Isaiah 54, 13, as he restates what he said in verse 44. The drawing of verse 44 and the teaching of verse 45 both point to the sovereign work of God in salvation. So as, as, you, as you look at your text, you can see in verse 44, he says that no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. And then he says they will all be taught by God. The drawing and the teaching are both pointing at the same reality. The second half of verse 45 seems to be a rebuke of his Jewish opponents. Learned Jews would pride themselves in their understanding of the Old Testament. They knew, they knew it well, at least they thought. But clearly, even though they might have known the words, they didn't actually understand it. 
Because if they had understood it, they would have come to him, the Christ, and embraced him as the one who would truly satisfy their souls. But they didn't see it. They remained in their unbelief. In verse 47, Jesus proclaims that all who believe in him will find hope and satisfaction of life eternal and the fullness of life in the present. He says, he says this in verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. Then, in verse 48, Jesus returns to the bread analogy. And these words are clearly a metaphor here. They didn't get it when Jesus spoke to them in plain terms back in verses 35 through 40. So now Jesus extends the metaphor, especially over these next 10 verses. In these these verses, Jesus uses the verbs feed, eat, and drink a combined 12 times. Let's look for just a minute just at the first few of these verses, starting in verse 48. Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of this world is my flesh. In verses 30 through 33 of our passage from last week, Jesus introduced the contrast of the manna during the Jews' wilderness wandering and himself as the bread of life. Verse 49, um, there Jesus tells us that manna that came to God's people in the wilderness was from God. It was useful and it was good. It sustained their life but it was limited. It had no ability to give them life eternal. And they knew this very clearly because all of their fathers were dead. No one remained. They all died, even though they ate the manna. In contrast, verse 50, Jesus says that the bread of life comes down from God. I am the bread of life. I come down from God. Faith in him, contrasted with the manna, faith in him brings life, life that is not limited to our earthly existence, life that is eternal. All who believe will never die, but will have eternal life. Your fathers ate the manna, and it was good for their, it was good for their bodies, but they died. You eat of me. I am good for your soul. You will live forever. Jesus begins verse 51 by summing up the last two verses when he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And this is the fifth time since verse 33 that Jesus makes this claim. But Jesus here adds to it, if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And there are several parallels that we can draw out of this analogy of eating the bread. A few things for us to consider. First, food. How many of you like food? How many of you are ready to go eat? We'll be done in just a few moments and you can go eat. Food is good, right? It, however, is no benefit to us unless it's eaten. You might see food that looks appealing, 
but it's of no benefit to you unless you eat it. Just the same, spiritual truth is no benefit to us unless it's internalized. Another parallel, eating food is trust. Have you ever thought about that? Eating food is trust. Faith that the food is edible. Just the same, metaphorically, eating the bread of life is believing in Jesus. It is trusting in him. Some of us may be more trusting than others with the food that we eat. But food is trust. It's trusting that it's edible. The next parallel is this. Eating is personal. Eating is personal. Like This is pretty obvious, but it's good, I think, for us to draw out and consider. The reality is that I can't eat your lunch for you today. Now, depending on what you're having for lunch, where you might be going for lunch, I might volunteer to eat in your place. However, if I do that and I eat your lunch, what benefit is, is it to you? Maybe if you're on a diet, you're like, okay, I didn't consume those calories. But what real benefit is that food to you if I eat it for you? I might be full, I might be satisfied, but you're going to go away hungry, right? Just the same, salvation is personal. The bread of life is personal. I cannot believe on Jesus, the bread of life, on your behalf. If I tried to do that, you would remain spiritually hungry and spiritually unsatisfied. Food is of no benefit unless it's eaten, just the same. Spiritual truth is of no benefit unless eternalized. Eating food is trust, just the same. Eating metaphorically the bread of life is trusting in him. And eating is personal. I must do it for my good. You must do it for your good. The Jews, though, they didn't see any of these parallels. They didn't see any of the point that Jesus was getting at. They missed just about everything that Jesus was saying. We'll see in just a minute specifically how they responded to Jesus' words here from verse 51. In verse 51 where he says that the bread of life is his flesh. But before we get there, Jesus ends with these words that I am the bread of life that I will give for the life of the world my flesh. In the first chapter of John's gospel, John twice points us to the fact that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Also in John 1, he tells us that the Word became flesh. It is the incarnate Word, Jesus Christ, who would lay down His life as a price for redemption for you and I. In verses 41 through 51, Jesus he has continued to, cl- to declare this reality, that he is the Son of God and that he is whom mo- will most certainly satisfy our souls forever. And he calls on us to believe in him for eternal life. Finally, we see the Jews' question. And they ask this, what, is he telling us to eat him? Look with me at these verses, verses 52 through 59. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us flesh to eat, his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly I say unto you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last days. 
For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread of the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So the Jews' response to Jesus' teaching, they began to argue, to have sharp disagreement. Is he really telling us to be cannibals? What, are we supposed to eat his flesh? This can't be what he means. What, um, but that's what he said, isn't it? This can't be right. They began to argue back and forth as to what Jesus meant here in his teachings. I, I kind of find it funny that they begin to argue about Jesus' teachings. They still didn't understand it. And all of them in their pooled ignorance of blindness and unbelief, they were arguing about what Jesus meant, and they still all missed the point. Like I mentioned before, in our text we find both plain and metaphoric language. Here, in the words of Jesus, um, back in verse 35, he states that he is the bread of life. Then he says that he is the person who come, that it's the person who comes to him that will never hunger, not the person who eats him. In the same vein, it's the one who believes that will not thirst, not the one who drinks him. But he changes, he changes his wording here some, and he, he speaks of himself as the one to be eaten and drunk. Clearly, he is not teaching uh, that they must become cannibals, that we must become cannibals. Um, he, he set that uh, baseline for us when he first said these words back in verse 35. So what's Jesus doing here with this teaching? Um, when he see, and even in a few verses later in verses 30, uh, 53 through 56, where he seems to double down on what he said in verse 51. Um, in verses 53 and 56, we see these phrases, eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, feed on my flesh, drinks my blood, my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink, is true drink, feeds on my flesh, drinks my blood. And he says that all those who do these things will have eternal life. So what's he saying? What's he getting at? Some have tried to make sense of all of this by saying it's metaphoric language that is pointing at the Lord's table, um, at, at God's people coming together around the table. However, this interpretation clearly falls short because if Jesus was pointing to the Lord's table, then he would be teaching that participation in the Lord's table brings eternal life. And we know from the teaching of Scripture that that is false. We know that eternal life comes through faith alone in Christ alone, nothing else. Not in us coming together around, uh, around the Lord's table. He's not pointing to this. Um, there, are, there, are, um, there are some who would say this, but it's clearly not so. So what is Jesus getting at? He seems to be making it harder for the Jews to accept his teaching. Um, they persisted in their unbelief, but he didn't tone his teaching down at all. He, he seems to double down in his teaching. He's using a physical illustration to communi communicate a spiritual reality. But he's not doing it even necessarily so that they, were, they would understand. And this is not uncommon for Jesus 
In Matthew 13, when Jesus was teaching in, in parables, the disciples asked him why he was doing so. Why would you teach this way? Why would you teach these earthly stories that communicate heavenly meanings? Why would you teach in this way? And his answer to them, we see in Matthew 13. To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, their case, in their case, the prophet, prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but you will not understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. They, they don't believe, and they persist in their unbelief. As Jesus had said, said these hard things about his flesh and his blood in verses 53 through 56, he, he, he's doing it, doubling down on what he had said before, and it seems as though he's making it harder for them to believe because they persist in their unbelief, just like when he taught in parables. But as he, as he speaks these things, he weaves in four promises in these hard sayings in verses 53 through 56. If you, if you look at these verses with me, verses 53 through 56, where he, where he says these things about eating his flesh and drinking his blood repeatedly, he he includes four promises that are promises that have come up in our passage before. Um, let's read verses 53 through 56 again together. Follow as I read. So Jesus said to them, Truly I say unto you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I and in him. The first promise from Jesus in these verses is negatively stated. If you reject me, you have no life in you. Rejection of me equals death. That is a promise that's a guarantee. If you reject me, you will certainly die. The second promise is this. If you receive me, you will have, take it to the bank, you will have eternal life. The third promise is this. If you receive me, you will be raised up on the last day. What I start, I will complete. And the fourth is this. If you receive me, I will abide in you. I am the true vine. You are the branch. I abide in you, you in me. He is here promising union with Christ. What incredible promises. Life eternal, resurrection from earthly death, and union with Christ. Three great certainties for all who believe. Contrasted with one great certainty for those who remain in their unbelief. These four promises that we see from these few verses. A few questions for us to consider this morning. Have you seen how the Jews responded to Jesus' teaching? They remained in their unbelief. 
question for you. What is your normal response to the teachings of Jesus? How do you respond when you hear his word, when you hear his truth? How does the reality that those who believe in Jesus will be raised at the last day impact the way you live every day? It ought to change our lives. In, in what ways are you living contrary to the reality that Jesus is everything you need for today? He is the bread of life. You need nothing more. He is your daily sustenance. In what ways are you living contrary to that reality? In our text, we've considered Jesus' declaration that he is the bread of life. We've considered the Jews grumbling saying, we know who you are. You're not the Son of God. And we've considered their question, is he telling us to eat them? No, he is not. In all of this, we see Jesus proclaiming that he is the bread of life. Just as we trust the bread to sustain us in our daily lives, those who believe in Jesus are trusting that he is all they need to sustain them for now and for eternity. In Jesus, we find everything that our soul will ever need. For he alone, the bread of life, will satisfy your soul forever. Do you believe this? How is it impacting the way that you live your life today? And more importantly, maybe if you sit here in unbelief, what will you do with Jesus, the bread of life, this morning? Will you trust him with your all? Let's pray. Father, thank you for making your word known to us, making your son known to us so that we might believe. I pray that if there is one here this morning who has yet to place their faith and trust in you, that that might take place in their heart even today. For you alone are what will sustain them for today and for all eternity. Father, I pray that those who are your children here this morning, that we would live in ways that do not betray the fact of who you are and what you have done for us. We thank you again for giving us your son, for giving us this bread of life that will satisfy us forever. And we pray these things in your son's name.